0: hey guys welcome to this episode of the podcast i get to sit down with joel turner from shot iq and i can't tell you how excited i am about this episode not only because joel shares a very similar philosophy as me when it comes to a shot process but he's dove so much farther into it and has really developed a foolproof system and uh, has just taken that to the next level and uh, for having somebody uh, like him onto the show that I can learn from and find out some of my maybe my mental flaws and be able to work on things I'm really excited to improve and maybe even learn alongside the, uh, the audience on this episode because Joel is an awesome resource to help get the most out of yourself before you expect that out of your gear. Let's, let's fix our own shooting capabilities first. So, great episode. Uh, Joel is an awesome resource for this and uh, couldn't be happier with the way this turned out. So, as always, guys, if you want to see more, uh, you can become a Patreon of the show, have a much more in-depth uh, view and feel of the show You guide where the conversation goes. You can actually get your questions answered directly by the guests. And uh, you really really control how the conversation goes. I mean, there's not really a better way to be a part of the podcast. And it's any amount right now gets you in. And uh, happy to have you there as a patron. And all that money goes back into growing the show so we can help more people and get the information to the folks that need it. So that is www.patreon.com onpointpodcast. If you want to become a patron, uh, be happy to have you. As well as, as that, if you guys want to leave a five-star podcast, that's a free way to help the podcast. And uh, you can do that on iTunes. Five stars. Leave a review so I know you left it, and if I do a, uh, another giveaway on there, you'll be entered in it as well. So, alrighty, guys, from Shot IQ, Joel Turner.
1: Well, everybody's dealing with target panic. I don't care who you are. Everybody, every human mind deals with shot anticipation in one way or another. And mm-hmm. you know, I started shooting a bow when I was seven, and I was I was not good. I mean, I couldn't understand why I couldn't hold on a spot. You know, I'm in high school, and I'm winning some tournaments shooting bare bow only because I can't put a sight pin on a target, right? Hmm. So I'm shooting with no sights. I started that way, way back when, and, and uh, you know, aiming several feet over a target, right? Mm-hmm. And then just dumping my bow in there and, and releasing the string all at the same time. And it uh it was not good. So I kinda had to figure some stuff out and then I became uh I was I was a pretty good shotgun guy. But there's science behind that. That's just a lot of visual proprioception and, and uh, you know, hand eye coordination if you wanna call it that. You know, shooting a shotgun was easy and it was it was all moving targets and everything and, and that's kind of where everything led me. I was a wildlife specialist with USDA wildlife services. We did a lot of shotgunning. but when it came to precision rifle work, like, I mean, one of our contracts was to uh, harvest coyotes that were causing damage Mm -hmm. livestock. And I'd call in a coyote. And as soon as the crosshairs would get on that coyote, I'd be yarding the hell out of that trigger. (laughs) And it was horrible. And it's exactly the same thing that happened in my bow hunting. I mean, it was, I started bow hunting elk at 14 years old, and it took me 13 years to kill a bull elk with my bow, Hmm. only because I couldn't hold myself together at the moment of truth. I mean, I've missed so many bull elk; it's ridiculous. I don't even want to talk about it. (laughs) You know, so, but I just got sick of missing and not knowing why I was missing, and that's you know. Then I became a law enforcement officer, and that's when things changed. That's when more determination came in because your shot now made a lot, had a lot more value to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's when I started to figure out shot control. And then I became a firearms instructor and that's when it really started to things started to come together. And then, you know, I wrote some articles and stuff and, and had other firearms instructors. They were just articles for within the industry and had other firearms instructors look at it. And one of the first things they said was, why didn't I think of, Mm-hmm. You know, because it's simple stuff. But once you learn how to direct concentration, we've been doing it incorrectly for a long time. So,
0: well, you and I talked before this thing a little bit, and it was like, man, I like every time I go to the range, maybe a couple, a couple people a year at the at the local range here, not at like a legit shoot. Well, even at a legit shoot, nine out nine out of, nine out of ten guys are just it seems like the widespread target panic. And it's like you said, I started off my whole life, even with a gun back when I rifle hunted and I have horrible, horrible target panic with a gun. Yeah. And, uh, it was just kind of a shoot, shoot, shoot it. It's going to get away. Shoot it, shoot it right now, you know, kind of thing. And then that just snowballed into, into just one day. I'm like, man, I, I can't, I can't hit a deer on the move. (laughs) I just can't do it. And, uh, and it just, I see it with archery. I shot with it with archery for ah uh, eight years until I finally ran into some guys that you know told me, hey, you know, you don't, you want a surprise release, man. You don't want to know, you know, you're you're shooting good, but you're you're not doing it correctly. You could shoot better, you know, and and just getting around guys that are way better shots than me. It's like okay, and so what you know, what are they doing differently? And all of them have the same thing in common. You know, they all are defeating target panic and uh, they're shooting just a way better shot process. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, I'm just curious from your perspective, why, why is this such a widespread pandemic? And, and I'm, you know, for guys that haven't figured it out yet, we are pretty much this whole episodes on target panic um, is what I'm going to call it. I, I don't know what your, what, where you, you know, what you would call that, but um, you know, I see it every day. 99.9% of people have it.
1: Right. It's, it's not something that you have, it's something that you're born with, Okay. It's not a disease, right? It's, it's the way the human mind works when dealing with explosions. The human mind is not meant to shoot stuff. Right? Hmm. I mean, there's no target panic with a spear, right?
0: Because, <laughs> yeah, that's a good because point.
1: Because a spear doesn't create an explosion. There's no sudden release of energy, right? Okay. same thing as throwing a baseball or a, a rock or anything like that. It doesn't cause anticipation. Now, if a pitcher was to throw a baseball with the knowledge that if they threw it perfectly, the baseball would explode six inches in front of their hand. Hmm. Then that is now like shooting because now the, the arm movement of the pitcher becomes an anticipated movement because it's going to cause an explosion. Same thing as that slight movement in your finger, on your index finger trigger, Mm -hmm. right? That movement becomes an anticipated movement because it causes an explosion, a sudden release of energy, right? So it's not something that that we get. It's not a disease. It is the natural path of the human mind. Because when you first shot a bow, you picked up a bow. I guarantee you didn't punch the trigger the first time, right? You,
0: you, I mean, uh, I, I'm trying to think of it. I, I probably squeezed it away, but I, I mean, my, my trigger panic with a rifle probably poured right into a bow. It was that bad. Sure. I well, mean, it yeah, look, I'm only horrible.
1: <laughs> one shot with your rifle to set the whole thing in motion, hmm. right? So however old you were, I know that I was five years old when I started yanking the trigger on a rifle. Mm-hmm. Because my dad, my dad handed me a thirty thirty at five years old. I know exactly <laughs> where I was standing. I know exactly where I was. He told me to work the trigger slowly, and I did it one time. And so mm. that thing roared. And then once it did, the second shot, I guarantee you, I closed my eyes. I yanked the trigger because that's what's natural. Yep. There's a drill that I do in my online course that you'll see. You know, I'm tapping on people's hands, and it only takes one hit, one impact, and they formulate motor programs against it. So then the second time I go to hit their hands, they actually come out to meet me and all I'm having them do is aim like they're holding on to a pistol and they're aiming like hmm. their thumb is a front sight. Right. And I have them put it on some distant target and I start tapping their hands. It only takes one hit. And then the next one, they're going to anticipate it. So I'll, I'll hit them four or five times. And then I miss. And when you miss their hands, you get to see the dip, the pre-ignition movements, if you will. Hmm. So all these things that we're dealing with are absolutely 100% natural, and that's what people have missed. That's the core problem in shooting. The reason that we're all dealing with this stuff is that the, your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise.
0: That's really, that's really fascinating because I wrote an article one time um... – And I, it was on target panic and and I put a lot of time into it and I directly called target panic, a mental disorder. And, uh, and from what you're saying, it's, it's not, it's just, it's natural. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a disorder. It's just something that you're going to have to, that you're, that you're naturally born with and that you have to overcome with intent.
1: And you have to overcome it. You have to, every time you shoot your bow or your rifle or whatever it is, if you're doing it with absolute control, You have to basically consciously defy human nature every Hmm. single shot. So that's what you have to know how to do. How do you do this conscious defiance of human nature, right? How do you concentrate? What decisions do you have to make in your shot? These are all the things that lead to shot control, but they're not the true skills that are ever practiced. Hmm. I mean, I was at a 3D shoot on on the 1st of January watching, you know, and there'd be people that would come through, hey, can I shoot through? Yeah, go ahead, man. And they'd step up in front of our group and they'd just yank their bow back, pin gets close, yard the trigger. Oh, I missed. Sorry <laughs> about that. Okay, I'll go get my arrow. And then off they go, right? They yep. are essentially practicing their own failure because they're just, they're allowing every shot to make them weaker instead of mm-hmm. using every shot to make them stronger practicing the true skills, the mental skills that drive all those physical movements. So
0: would you would you elaborate on that? So if if a guy's wanting to start, like he knows he, he like a guy like me, who um, you know, I deal with it and I work on it every day. I think I you and I were talking, I you know, says something to the fact that, you know, that target panic is is, is a not a war that you win, it's a battle that has to be fought like literally every day. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's, that's rang true. I mean, I don't know what you would, I mean, it sounds like that would ring true with your philosophy that, you know, every shot matters, right? I mean, can you expand on that a little bit?
1: Folks don't put enough value in their shots. They just, they go to the range with the intent to practice. And all they're doing is they're making their pre-ignition movements more and more efficient. If they move the trigger, be it an index finger, a hinge, a thumb button, tension-activated release, if they're shooting a trad bow, they're moving to a clicker, whatever type Mm -hmm. of mechanoreceptive trigger they're using, if you're moving that at a rate that you cannot stop in the middle, if you're allowing it to be what's called an open-loop motor program, Mm -hmm. then you are essentially practicing your recoil bracing movements. That's all you're practicing. You're just, your subconscious loves it because it's more efficient. It's not efficient for you, Garrett, to draw back and aim, put your pin on the spot, then hook your finger around the trigger, and then move slow enough, increase that back tension slow enough that you could stop it anywhere within the movement. That's not efficient, Right. Mm -hmm. That's why your mind doesn't like to do it and you're going to cause, you're causing more tension in your body and you're going to make this explosion a surprise. It will never like that. It's totally against the core problem in shooting, which again is your mind will not allow you to cause your body impact as a surprise.
0: That totally makes sense. And so for, here's a question, like you and I were talking and then our, our conversation got cut off short and I was like, left me on a cliffhanger
1: i was it. like that was, was a like, four car collision with a drunk driver <laughs> and oh it was a nightmare i was like no what am i what am i saying <laughs> that's that's not accurate
0: here right. so i gotta i gotta get this out because i've been you, you left me on a cliffhanger here okay. so the conversation was uh it was you know i said something to the effect that you know i switched to a hinge and and it, for me it made fun they made shooting really fun again. Like mm-hmm. I shoot ten times more arrows with the hinge than I do with a trigger caliper release, mm-hmm. thumb release. It doesn't matter. The hinge makes it so easy for me to just have that shot process that I, you know, I, I, I can achieve the shot process I like that I want. Mm-hmm. It's a surprise. Um, and then I said something to the effect that you know the caliper releases, the finger releases, they just really don't work for me. And then you, you were going to go somewhere right. with that. And uh, I'm dying to know, okay. you know where, where, where I went wrong with that statement because I, I want to get better and I don't care if you have to flay me open and, and show everybody <laughs> what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. I, I don't care.
1: So that is the mindset. It didn't work for me. That is mm-hmm. the mindset that most people approach instruction from, right? It didn't work for me. What you have to remember is that nothing will ever work for you. Right, no matter what instruction you take, what system you follow, what release you shoot, it's never going to work for you. Right? You have to work for it. But you, the instruction you take has to teach you how to do the work. So what you did is you went from your index finger trigger that you were not able to control. Mm-hmm. Right? You were you were hoping every shot, you you had no idea. When you drew your bow back, you didn't know whether you were going to be able to press through that trigger or not. Right. It was, it was totally set in hope. You had no absolute plan on how you were going to control that shot, what decisions you were going to make when you were going to make them and scientifically how you were going to carry them out. You had no plan, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the mindset of somebody that's expecting something to work for them so what you did is you then went to a hinge release the hinge is so much easier because the movement is bigger it's more easy to evaluate right because when you're if whether you're using back tension on the hinge or whether you're rolling it whether you're relaxing your index finger how, whatever movement you're doing to activate that shot it's bigger it's much easier to evaluate right so you can feel the movement in it you can right so you can feel the movement no matter what hinge you're shooting you can feel the movement and once you start to feel that movement what are you thinking about you're thinking about the movement itself right it's a much easier to disregard the aim with a hinge or a tension activator release than it is with a index finger trigger or a thumb button. So okay. once you go down the, the scale works this way, you've got index finger triggers that everybody starts with, and then they punch mm-hmm. the crap out of those. So they yes. go to, they go to a thumb button right? Because the thumb is supposedly a dumber appendage, right? So Mm -hmm. then they start punching that one. They're hovering over that thing like a cobra ready to strike and then they thumb punch (laughs) that thing, right? Then somebody says you probably should shoot a hinge. They go to a hinge and that's kind of a, a turning point for some people. Some people take the hinge and work it like it's supposed to be done and they start making decisions in their shot. Their plan is much more clear with this release, but if you're somebody that's hoping a hinge is going to work for you, they start punching that one too. Right? And then the mm-hmm. only thing left is a tension activated release. So the tension activated release, you know, like a Carter Evolution or a Stan Element or one of those that goes on your bow poundage, you set it to a specific bow pound or holding weight, mm-hmm. you know, three or four pounds over your holding weight. But with that one, if you don't pull, it's not gonna go off. Right? It essentially makes decisions for you. Right? So okay. in the in the scale of decisions, the index finger trigger, very difficult to make those decisions to stay in that movement. Mm-hmm. Thumb button, a little easier. There's numerous ways you can activate a thumb button. Then you go to the hinge, and that's the turning point on whether you're gonna go toward you know sticking with your hope it works for me, or you're going to go, okay, I can run this. Or then you go to the tension activator release. And if if you can't master a tension activator release, it's very simple. Set it to where it won't go off ever, right? Draw back and aim with the safety on, take the safety off and pull until you have a body tremor. What you're going to find, and I do this with folks that have trouble making decisions, right? If they come to my clinic, and I'll, I'll run them through the gamut of releases and they won't make a decision. They just won't get over it, right? So then I'll, mm-hmm. set, their, I'll set the stand element so heavy that it's not going to go off, right? So they draw back and aim, got that part done. That's job number one, right? Then mm-hmm. they let the safety off. That's the basically the critical second, the here I go. So they take the safety off. And then they start pulling on that thing and then what you'll see is this big jerk of the body and I call it a body tremor. That's the exact moment when they used to yard through the hinge or the thumb button or punch the trigger on their release. So Mm -hmm. I get them through that, I get them over that little hump and then I ask them a very specific question. What are you thinking about? And they'll say, man, I was just trying to make this release go off and then all of a sudden I'm (laughs) like, screw it. And that's exactly when the gremlin comes in. That's when the subconscious comes in and says, let's get this over with. But it gives you that big yank, but you've got it set so tight that it won't go off. They put the safety back in. They let it down. We discuss it. You know, that's that body tremor is a goal of mine when I'm training somebody. <laughs> because that's where the subconscious tried to take it away. But because they were moving closed loop, meaning slow enough that they could stop it anywhere within the trigger movement, they were able to overcome it. It's a huge progression for a shooter to hit that body tremor and then understand exactly what happened, right? Hell, sometimes even the arrow goes off and, you know, if they collapse or whatever, sometimes the arrow goes off. But what they need to realize is that was a battle between the subconscious and the conscious, So if they know what they were thinking, if they know what they were saying, if they know they could have stopped it, which they did in that particular shot, and they know exactly what decisions they made to keep themselves in the process, now they've got a blueprint for their controlled shot. What I want people to do is I want them to use different releases, not to surprise them, differently just because they're different. I want you to be able to pick up the worst piece of crap, slowest trigger, gritty sears, all kinds of stuff. And your job is to stay in that movement no matter what. Hmm. You use releases for concentration practice. You're using every shot for concentration practice. So when you say that that release didn't work for you, well, Hmm. none of them work for you right? You got yourself to a point where you started to make decisions in your shot. If you take those same decisions and put them back into the index finger trigger, now you start to get control of all of your shots, including your rifle shot and your pistol Mm -hmm. shot because you're making specific decisions. So I have, I got lots of, lots of decisions that I make within a shot, but I'll let you go ahead before we get to that.
0: Yeah, you know, when when you say that, I, I've I've said this before and it totally makes sense listening to you describe it now because when, when I started using the hinge and then I'd go back to like a, the short and sweet or a trigger release or whatever, I would notice that it would spill over into like all those good habits, all that shot process and then if I shot that enough, I'd start to basically rewind and then I'd go back over to the hinge and I'd start you know building those good habits i'd start immediately with good habits i mean i mean it's how do you with with these cheaper releases and i know it's a decision but it's such such a hard decision when you have trigger creep Mm -hmm. um for me i I mean man i i don't know if i could i mean i'm sure i could if i tried hard enough but for for a lot of folks out there i don't know how they would be able to get past that trigger creep because once i start feeling that trigger go off boy is it hard
1: right That's why those releases are so perfect for concentration practice. Mm. You're not using them for shooting. You're using them for concentration practice solely, right? But this is not on blank bail. This is on aimed, actual aimed shots at distance, Okay. right? So you said that when you go back to that index finger trigger, it's good for a little bit. There's some transfer, right? But you never blueprinted your controlled shot you're not taking the blueprint with you. So you're trying to keep, you're trying to transfer physical skills. There's no transfer and your subconscious as soon as you go back onto the index finger trigger, it starts to learn again, right? Mm -hmm. There are three stages of learning in the human mind. Number one is the cognitive stage of learning, right? That's why when you go back to the hinge, you're cognitive again, right? So you're, you're thinking about every specific movement, and also you're talking yourself through those movements in the cognitive stage of learning. Then you go to the practice stage of learning, and that's where all the self-talk and all that stuff stops, and you become more and more and more efficient, right? Think about how you progressed in your bow shot. Your first few shots, very cognitive. And then what'd you do? You'd shoot all the time, every day, right? You're in the practice stage with the subconscious goal of becoming automatic, right? So, in most movements, that's a good progression, like swinging a baseball bat, throwing a football. Those are, that's the progression that the human mind wants to follow. In shooting, it's absolutely detrimental to follow that. You have to stay in the cognitive stage of learning. And that's what's so difficult with like people will blank bail shoot. Oh, they're magicians on the blank bail, right? They control everything. Well, what are they thinking about on the blank bail? They're thinking about their shot activation movement, right? And they don't have a pin on a target screaming at them to let it go. It's, it makes total sense to the subconscious that when the pin is on the target, you shoot the arrow right? That makes total sense. That's why you have to consciously defy it every time. But then they take these blank bail skills, these physical blank bail skills that they've learned, and they try to apply those to an actual aimed shot. There's zero transfer. It might transfer for one or two shots, and then the subconscious starts learning again, puts you in the practice stage, and then toward the automatic stage. So Shooting is the only thing that I can think of that allows you to practice this level of concentration. You have to practice to stay in the cognitive stage of learning. And that's where the self-talk is so important. You got to know what you're saying. You got to know what you're thinking, but you also got to know what you're saying during that shot. And all this stuff, you know, all the decisions and all the concentration, all these things, They only last for one shot. And then you got to do the exact same thing again and again and again until the only thing that becomes automatic is the decision to shoot that shot with control or not at all. It becomes basically a principle by which you live. Like I don't care who I'm shooting in front of. I will never ever again shoot an uncontrolled arrow. No matter what. I know how I'm going to shoot every arrow for the rest of my life. And that is very powerful information because that one decision, the original decision that starts every shot is I will shoot this shot perfectly or I will shoot this shot with control or not at all. That totally makes sense. You you make that decision at the beginning of every shot and then – It gives you options like, hey, you know what? Nobody's got a gun to my head making me shoot this shot, right? Mm -hmm. And then it just brings you into the present so that it starts that process-based thinking instead of results. Most people, when they shoot at critters, never make that decision. They're only thinking in the future. Oh, man, that's a six by six. I'm going to (laughs) be a hero, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking that, you're definitely not thinking about your shot process.
0: That totally makes sense. I mean, that that really does. There was a buddy of mine that went from compound to trad recently mm-hmm. and uh, did that for a long time. And now he went back to compound and he's lights out. I mean, just whatever he did, like what that process you're talking about, not having that pin has totally spilled over in what you call blue blueprinted. Right. I, I feel like he got that by shooting Chad for so long.
1: Well, I mean, I hope so. What aiming is, the science of aiming is very simple. It's, it's called visual proprioception. It's how your mind reads feedback from what it's seeing, right? Like mm-hmm. when you are driving down the road, you see a yellow line and a white line, and you're looking down the road. And when you get visual feedback that your vehicle is veering slightly to the left, you automatically move your arm and you move the steering wheel until you get the right visual feedback that your vehicle's back in the middle of the lane. You don't have to think about the movements, right? You have no control over the movements, no conscious control over them. It's the same thing when you're aiming. Draw back and aim. Do not move into the target slowly from a certain direction. Get your pin on the target, right? And then the only control you have over that pin is to watch it, right? And you don't have to watch the pin. You want to watch the spot you want to hit because that gives the pin an anchor point to always come back to, right? That's how visual proprioception works.
0: I'm glad you 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 went over that because a lot of the questions I get asked is like, what do you focus on during the shot, and like, do you focus on the pin? I'm like, I absolutely absolutely do not do not focus on on the pin. You know, like it seems like most people are wanting to focus on that pin. And back when I call I call it like rhythm shooting, mm-hmm. um, or flyby shooting, mm-hmm. that's what I would do. I mean, I did that for God eight eight or nine years. And
1: where you're locked off the target.
0: Well, you're just you're just floating, and then. Uh, I, you know, I've dealt with that when I, um, just last year I was dealing with hanging low mm-hmm. and that was prior to me using a hinge. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the thing that, and you can tell me if there's something wrong with this thought process. The thing that I love about using with, with the hinge is that it literally takes everything else from me. All I have to do is aim. And then it just becomes how steady can I hold the bow? Cause I know if I just hold it there, it's going to be really freaking close if not a bullseye. And I just, I just don't care, you know, when that shot goes off. As long as I'm doing my job, mm-hmm. I'm good to go. Is there anything wrong with that shot process?
1: What is your job in that process?
0: My job's just to hold the bow steady. Okay. So I mean, that is—that's all the. I mean, the, the the everything else is taken care of. I mean, my form needs to be good. Uh, you know, alignment with the pin and the peep, mm-hmm. and controlling my breathing, and that's about all I do.
1: So how do you activate your release?
0: Um, I'm I'm slowly. Uh, that's something that I've been working on. I've been, cause I'm still a little, I'm not super experienced with, the, uh, I've been using it for less than a year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I say I'm not super experienced. I've been using it for less than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still figuring out whether I'm going to relax with my index finger while pulling through with my back, or if I'm going to try and roll it with my hand, or if I'm going to keep bringing my elbow around, I'm still trying to figure that out. What the best thing is for me there. Okay. I- I'd love to hear what you, what what you would suggest
1: so here's here's the deal your job has to change because you're putting concentration into something you have no control over you have no control over how steady your bow arm is okay how steady your sight is it's completely run through your subconscious right so put the pin on it and let it dance you have no control other than to watch the picture whether you focus on the pin or on the target, it's just a picture, right? So if you know it's 30 yards, put your 30 yard pin on it and watch the picture. It's like watching a a movie, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to move. You have no control over it. Your only job is concentration on nothing other than your shot activation movement, which are those movements that you just explained in the release, right? Because if you concentrate on the aim, And you let the subconscious take the hinge from you, it will always go open loop and it will put pre-ignition movements in it. You'll get almost to where the sear breaks and then you'll give it a little pop, right? (laughs) And that's where that's going to take you out of the 10 ring. So if you should be able to do all of those movements that you talked about and then you find which one is most accurate. I believe the most accurate is a hand roll only because you're not putting more back tension input into the shot. So you're putting your back tension on a maintenance program. So you draw back and aim, get it done, watch to keep it. Here I go. And then you you lock the back tension in, and then you start the roll. And you can really feel it in your hinge if you set your hinge fairly slow, right? So you set it. Do you shoot with a click in your hinge or not?
0: I shoot. uh, There's a safety and uh, I used to hate it, but I absolutely love it now. Okay, um, you're,
1: when you take the safety off, right? Mm-hmm. So you're shooting, about you're shooting, right
0: about the time I anchor is about when it goes off.
1: You're shooting a true ball sweet spot.
0: Uh, sh- um, the HBC.
1: Okay, HBC doesn't have a safety.
0: It's got the click, that thing that lets you. There's no actual safety, but it, it when like when you yeah, it, start it, reach a certain point, it clicks like a. Click.
1: Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. The clicker inside the. Yeah! 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 Okay, so you draw back an aim and then you can move smoothly to the click. The click is your decision point. Okay. That's when you have to decide to move slow enough that you could stop it anywhere within it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you draw back an aim, that's all good. That's just, those are jobs that you have to get done. Then move smoothly to the click. Now, once that thing clicks, that is the decision point. Okay. So, that's when you put your concentration into whatever movement you're going to do to activate the release. You put that concentration there through the use of words, okay? Concentration runs through speech. Words are nothing more than attentional cues. They cue your attention to the definition of the word. Anytime you read a word, your mind instantly goes to the definition of that word, okay? So that's the true meaning of concentration. You create an, what, what I call an attention bridge between mm-hmm. your mind and your muscles. The bridge is made of words, okay? So if, if you're going to roll your hand, let's say, all right? so your shot sequence would be draw back and aim, get it done, watch it to keep it. Here I go, right? The here I go... I want to talk about that in just a second, but those are words that I use specifically for a very specific reason. Okay, Here I go, and then you start the roll, and if you're, if you're going to use those words to create that attention bridge, remember that as soon as the word stops, the bridge breaks. So as soon as you stop saying your words, your conscious mind is going to go into something else like, oh my God, that's a big buck. I hope I get it. It goes into the future. Right? It goes into results. It's got to stay in the process. So Maybe a word that you might use is roll, if you're going to roll your hand, right? So mm-hmm. you start into that, here I go, roll, and you're, the, the words are creating that attention bridge, but they're also, your movement is going to be exactly guided by the rate of your speech. Okay, so the word itself is going to put the conscious mind into that particular muscle group. How you say it gives that muscle group a rate of movement.
0: Okay. So are you talking to yourself in your head or you you verbally? In your head. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether it's out loud or or in your head. It's still dialogue, right? Okay. And it's cognitive, right? It keeps you in the cognitive stage of learning so that when you break that shot perfectly, you know exactly what you were thinking about, you know exactly what you were saying, not only what you were saying, but at what rate you were saying it, you know that you could have stopped it, and if you could have stopped it anywhere within the movement, that means that you were truly concentrated on it, you were in a closed loop control system. And finally, you gotta know what decisions you made to keep yourself in that shot process so can we get to the decisions you want me to talk about those
0: yeah i'm, I'm actually glad you got into that because recently about a month ago i made a decision anytime i have a a sl- slight piece of doubt pop into that shot i immediately have to let myself down i okay. i just let down so um i i'm dying to hear this part of it too so you, please go elaborate into the decision part okay, of it
1: so the decisions there are three decisions that has to be made in every precision shot, be it with a rifle, be it with a bow, pistol, whatever. Okay. The first one we've already talked about the original decision. It starts. You make that decision as soon as you believe the shot is imminent. I mean, you know how it is. The critter's coming in. You're like, oh, man, I hope I get a shot at this thing. And the old heart's pounding and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, it starts to get in range. You're like, oh, yeah, I got pins for that, right? So it gets (laughs) in range. And then all of a sudden, it turns broadside. And your mind's like, oh, my God, it's actually happening, right? I'm going to get this shot. Mm -hmm. That is when you make the original decision. I will shoot this shot with control or not at all. Okay. That does two things. It, like I said, it gives you those options. Like nobody's got a gun to my head, making me shoot this shot. And it starts you into process based thinking. Okay. Now you've made your original decision. You pick your bow up, you start to draw your bow back. Now this is where, you have to make the original decision will not carry you through the entire shot. You have to make more decisions to keep yourself in the present, especially in extreme stress shooting situations. So you've picked your bow up. You start to draw your bow back. And now is when I say the half draw moment. So as I'm drawing the bow back, I say something to myself. I don't care what you say when it, when I did this, it, I said, I'm going to do this right. And it just keeps you in the present of the process. It keeps you out of those results. So as I'm drawing my bow back, I say, I'm going to do this right. That reminds me of all the things that are in job number one, which is draw back and aim, get it done, watch it to keep it, right? So now you've got your aim complete and your pin is hovering on this critter. I can guarantee you that every shot you have ever shot as a rushed shot, you have fired it within one second of you believing the aim was complete. Can you deny that? Uh, no. I not mean, at all. it makes total intuitive sense to your mind that when the pin's on the spot to shoot the shot, right? Mm-hmm. But. If you shoot within what I call the critical second, that one second in time after the aim is complete, you will go open loop, meaning you're going to move your trigger too fast for you to evaluate. And it's going to have, when you do an open loop movement, it will always have pre-ignition movements linked to it. Right? So that's just science. That's how it works. Right? So, you got to get yourself through the critical second. So that's that one second in time after the aim is complete. That's when I say to myself, here I go. That gets me through the critical second and reminds me, oh yeah, I'm supposed to move this release slow enough that I can stop it anywhere within it. And that right there, that one second has saved more critters than anything out there, right? Because that's where people fail. They always shoot it within the critical second. So that makes total
0: sense. And if you look at, do you watch the born and raised guys at all? Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you notice how many of them shot before they were ready? Like when they were like, I think it was last year. Um, a lot of them shot when that bow was moving and they're like, I should have waited. And, and I, I think that's what you're hitting on there is like, you know, they didn't, they didn't have that that aiming process down is what you're talking about.
1: They didn't get themselves through the critical second. They shot their arrow within the critical second. And, you know, most people will do that. Some are successful, some are not. Mm -hmm. I'm going to shoot a controlled shot no matter what, even if that critter walks out of my sight picture. It means more to me to stay in the shot process than it does to get the result. And that's going to sound crazy to some people, but if you want true shot control – that's what you need to do. You need to use these critters for concentration practice, right?
0: right. I, 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 I had one I, this year.
1: I don't know if I asked you, but have you ever jumped out of an airplane? No. <laughs> <Okay>. No. <laughs> so have you ever bungee jumped?
0: Nope. I'm jump, afraid of heights. you ever jumped off a cliff in the <laughs> into water? Uh, what do you define as a cliff? Well, I don't know. Like several <laughs> um, feet off the water. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've jumped off of into the water before.
1: Okay. So if you are at the edge of the cliff, right? How mm-hmm. in the world are you going to get yourself to jump?
0: Uh, usually my wife will do it for me. She'll talk shit to me. Yeah. Um, and then what?
1: <laughs> so she talks crap to you and then what?
0: And then I jump, I make the decision.
1: That's right. You've got to make a decision. There's no soldier has ever stood at the edge of a plane and just found themselves automatically falling out of the plane, unless they were hooked up or somebody put Missed. them, whatever. But if it's a if it's a solo jump and you got to make a decision to go, and it's one of the first times you've ever jumped out of an airplane, I guarantee you they have to make a decision, right? The decision has words attached to it. Most of them are like, oh shit, here I go, right? And then they jump because what you're doing is you are causing your body potential impact. You have to decide to do that every single time. It's the same thing that has to happen when you shoot your bow, right? So instead of firing the arrow within the critical second, fill the critical second with the decision, the decision to cause your body potential impact, right? It keeps you in the present and it knocks out autopilot for the third and final time in that one shot. You've made three decisions, the original decision, the half draw moment, and most importantly, the critical second. When you make those decisions at those specific moments in your shot, man, I'm telling you what, it is amazing the control that you can have on critters. It's so powerful. Yeah, I
0: there's a mule deer this year that I shot and, and – um you know, when I shot him, you know, I got him and everything. And then I just wasn't, I was pissed. You know, I i shot one of the best bucks of my life, but my shot process, I was so pissed off at myself. Yeah. I'm like, I, I didn't, you know, like, I don't know. It just took away from it because that's, I'm so obsessed with it now that, yeah. you know, it's like, man, you know, and I saw, I saw Dudley talk about it one time when he even posted a video on it where he shot this, I think it was a bear. Uh-huh. And he's like, you know, I didn't have a good shot process on that bear. And that's really all, all, all he wanted to talk about was his shot process. Right. And I totally get that. And I don't really know anybody else. You know, I, I, you know I've shot with guys and I'm like, God darn it. And you're like, why are you pissed? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, it's hard to describe it to other people because most people are like, they're, like you said, they're outcome oriented instead of process oriented. And even though I made a really good shot on the target, mm-hmm. the, the, the arrow getting there was crap. Yeah. It and doesn't,
1: it doesn't, you know, if I, if I shoot a critter, uh, well, I haven't shot an uncontrolled arrow since 2014 was the last one that I shot. And that will be my <laughs> last one for my life. But uh, it's, it doesn't mean as, I mean, I shot a giant blacktail buck at eight yards out of a tree stand <laughs> right in the heart, but I did not get through my process. And that's the one deer that was my turning point, right? That's when I said, I mean, I shot that buck. He ran off with the arrow sticking out of his heart. And I'm like, okay, cool. I got that buck, but I didn't do it. I did not control myself, right? So I sat in that tree stand in the dark and in the rain until I figured it out. I had to go through my shots. I had to go through my successes and my failures and figure out what is the difference, right? I had one controlled shot in 2008 And I had another controlled shot in 2010. If you've listened to any of my podcasts, I'm sure you've heard me talk about them. The 2008, one was on a hog. The 2010 one was on a bull down in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And from 2010 to 2014, I killed a lot of critters, but I didn't control any of those shots. I was getting through job number one, meaning I was getting my aim on the target, but I was not getting through my mechanoreceptive trigger on my stick bow, Right. It just wasn't, I wasn't doing it because when I finally sat there in that tree stand, I went, okay, what's the difference? Luckily, I had those two shots to fall back on because when you shoot an extremely controlled shot, you remember everything about it. You remember the tension that was in it. You remember the decisions that you made, what you said to yourself and when. So I had those two shots and they were identical in control. So, I sat there in that tree stand like, okay, what is the difference? On, you know, I'd shot numerous bulls and bucks in that time frame between 2010 and 2014. I'm like, it's the decisions. I didn't make any decisions on any of those other shots, right? And once I had the knowledge and I broke it down into those three decisions, now I've got my the the end of my blueprint. I had everything up to that. But I didn't have the most important part, which was the decisions. What decisions did I make to keep myself in the process for this one shot? And when I finally figured it out, I made that original decision a principle in my life. I'm going to shoot this shot with control or not at all. Nobody's got a gun to my head making me shoot this shot. And so now 2015 to present, I've killed a lot of critters and every one of them has been absolutely controlled. It's hmm. so cool because I know how I'm going to shoot every arrow for the rest of my life. Now, if it's a moving critter, like if I'm shooting moving hogs or, you know, whatever it is, you're not gonna get through it. Like, I'm not gonna press through my grips here on that critter because that's not the environment. That's not what's required for that, right? It's, it's easy to, you know, a lot of people with target panic or buck fever or whatever, They like to shoot moving critters because they can set their pin off the critter and they let the critter walk into the pin. And as soon as the pin is in the right spot, they punch the trigger and they're usually successful in that. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's only because they couldn't actually aim at the critter. They actually use the critter as a shot trigger, right. As a shot timer basically. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're successful in that regard. But if that critter's standing there at 20 yards, they can't get their pin anywhere close to it before they punch the trigger.
0: That's yeah. really I'm glad you got into that because I I've got buddies that are great shots with a rifle. My my hunting partner in one is I call him cool hand Luke, man. I mean, yeah. he, he don't miss. And uh it, but with a bow, you know, he he uh he just doesn't practice as much. But long story short, what I'm what I'm trying to get at is, is I avoid and and just listening to you talk about, it, I avoid situations where I have to rush through my shot process. So I used to like to shoot um, like timed challenges. You know, how many, how accurate can you shoot 30 yards in 15 seconds and stuff? I I quit doing that a while ago and I quit doing, you know, some of these guys do pop-up challenges, pop-up targets. What's your feeling on that? Because I I really do enjoy it and I enjoy shooting moving targets. Um, Really enjoy shooting moving targets. I got a few videos up, you know, slamming arrows at 50 yards on a moving target. You know, just... But my shot process wasn't there. So, what's your what's your take on that? And how do you get a controlled shot process process on the moving target? You
1: don't. So, because a moving target is a timed event, you have to know when your bow's going to go off. Right. right on a moving target. So, therefore, it's an open loop trigger activation, meaning it's fast. It's too fast for you to evaluate. But right. that's the environment for that particular shot. So that's another skill set. I always tell people you're never going to forget how to punch the trigger, right? That's what's natural, okay? So if you have to practice shooting moving targets, you know, practice your leads if you're going to track or trap or whatever you're going to do, right? Pr- those are skill sets, but it can't be the norm. It cannot be your go-to shot, but your, you know, when I have, when I'm training my SWAT guys, I make them shoot fast and close, right? And they're just banging away as fast as they can go. And then they have to shoot 100 yards with their pistol. Right? Holy crap. Instantly. So they're shooting pow, 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 pow. Oh, there's a 100 yarder. Now they got to switch. Now they've got to concentrate on their trigger. Now they got to make those decisions because if they don't, they'll never hit it, right? They'll never hit the precision target. Most bow shooting is a precision environment. It's a stationary target. But, you know, if a bull elk is walking past you at 10 yards, I don't expect you to have to, to work that hinge perfectly. I expect you to stick that whole rack of pins on there and <laughs> get through that release, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't need a perfect shot activation movement at 10 yards on a bull elk, right? right. Now, if you're shooting, uh, if it's a, a very small target, you know, that's, that's another issue. But if you recognize it as a precision environment, you have to your normal shot has got to work those decisions it's got to work the concentration you got to move your release slow enough that you could stop it anywhere within it that's your normal shot
0: right makes makes be
1: switch between open and closed loop control systems instantly I've got another question for
0: you regarding hinges and a lot of guys and this is something that I've been really struggling with myself mentally is is shooting a hinge in uh, in the wind mm-hmm uh, a lot of guys, they won't use them for hunting because of that, and that's something that I've been scared of because that's something I've heard. I've shot them in the wind. Mm-hmm. It it's challenging. It is challenging. But what? Walk me through your mindset on that and your approach of shooting a hinge, and, or you know, I'm just I'd like to hear your where you're at with that.
1: So, if you sh- if you a hinge is perfect because it's a longer movement, right? It's perfect for stationary targets with no wind. Now, if you are trying to shoot in the wind, you have to be moving slow enough to when your concentration goes to your aim, meaning you get blown off the target, you stop your movement, right? Mm -hmm. So, But if you try to punch your hinge because it's a longer movement, if you try to punch it, if you go open loop with a hinge, it's usually 10 times worse than with an index finger trigger because the longer movement makes it so that you invite more pre-ignition movements in there, and it just doesn't work out.
0: You have more time to screw up the shot is basically what you're saying.
1: Well, your, your subconscious has more time to plug in more bracing movements. I your see. bracing I movements see. will be bigger. That's why when you see people punch a hinge, it's usually god-awful. So, you know, if you're dealing with wind, just know that no matter which way your pin moves, its next movement is always back to the middle. If you see movement completely off the target, then you stop your shot activation movement. You stop your roll, right? The pin's going to instantly come back and then you start into it again, right? So that's kind of how to work the hinge, and you got to read the wind a little bit. But, you know, people shoot hinges because they they're in target panic and they think they need to it may not be the most accurate release system out there right there may Mm -hmm. be a more accurate release system for you maybe you shoot a thumb button better right maybe you shoot an index finger better it's you should have the control to be able to shoot them all that that leads me into a question that one of the patrons
0: um has asked and he wanted me to ask you this if you uh are willing to answer his question for him um, let me, uh, let me get the comment here real quick. So one of them wants to know, <laughs> this is a little too off topic. We'll get into that one later, but going into another solid episode, he says going over releases and three adv- adv- advantages and disadvantages would be swell. Also drills that you can do in a basement or backyard when it's not 20 de- 20 degrees out developing form would be great. So he wants to know what you can do at close range and what your opinion would be for selecting a release.
1: So what you can do at close range is make sure that you do not blank bail. There's no, you need to be aiming at something, right? And make it a pinhead. Make it something that you can see your pin movement on because you're using the pin movement for concentration practice, right? You're not concentrating on the pin. The skill is to be able to concentrate on the shot activation movement, even when you see pin movement, okay? That's the skill. So if you got to shoot blank bale type ranges, stick a pin into the target so that you can see that pin dancing around it and just let it dance, right? I don't usually recommend too much of that. I mean, you can if it's, you know, minus 20 outside or whatever. But also when it's minus 20 outside, go shoot a couple arrows when it's super cold. Because then the cold is your distraction and you're using everything you can for concentration practice. Right? That makes sense.
0: So it doesn't sound like you're a fan at all of, of blank bailing. Would there would there be a
1: situation where you or a training for blank bailing? Blank bailing is for form only, right? If you are working on a specific aspect and it doesn't take that many repetitions to make that aspect or put that aspect into your subconscious, right? So people, the the, the purpose of blank bailing is to get the feel of a good shot. Would you agree with that?
0: Absolutely. I, I do it all the time in my garage. So you, um,
1: you get this feel, but people stop the training there. They stop it at, okay, I've got the feel, and then they try to take that that little nugget of feeling, and they try, try to plug that into an actual aimed shot, right? There's no transfer there. What you need to do if you're going to do blank bail and you shoot this perfect shot, you got to blueprint it. Ask yourself the four questions. What was I thinking? What was I saying? Could I have stopped it? And what decisions did I make? Take that blueprint and that feel you know, the blueprint is basically how you got the feel and then take that and plug that into an actual aimed shot. And then you don't have to go back to the blank bail ever. What happens is people go back to the blank bail to return to the cognitive stage of learning. Right. But we're practicing staying in that cognitive stage no matter what, because we know how to stay there through the use of concentration Concentration comes from words, right? So that whole control process shooting science. That makes total sense. The other question was, how do you select a release? Once you understand closed-loop control systems, meaning how to actually move slow enough that you can evaluate, then and only then can you figure out what release you need. Because when you figure that out, you know, if you try some different index finger triggers, are you able to set the trigger hard enough to where you can really climb into it? You know, really wrap that finger around it and put good tension on it and then start into your rotation, your back tension movement. You're not moving your finger anymore, right? You're now working that rotation, elbows going behind you, not further back. It's going behind you. So you're rotating and you should not be able to feel any movement in that trigger. And then all of a sudden it breaks, right? The By far the best index finger trigger that I've ever found is a Carter-like mic. It, only because you can set the trigger harder than any other model on the market. So you can really crunch into that thing and really set a really deep hook with a lot of finger pressure. and. When you do that, when you're able to set a hook like that, it's very calming to know that, yep, I can really wrap into this thing and then I can start my rotational movement so and not feel any travel. So that's a really good one for, for that if you're, if you're working an index finger trigger.
0: That leads me into a comment that you asked me because you went and kind of did your homework on me on the YouTube stuff, watching a lot of my videos. And for guys that want to see somebody that's struggled with their shot process, Go to me, you know, a year ago, two years ago, mm-hmm. and you'll see certain videos where it's great and somewhere it's bad and in between. It's just really kind of fun to go back and look at that. It makes me cringe sometimes. Right? But yeah. um, if you, if you, you, you asked me a question and it's like, have you always shot with the release that deep into your hand? Mm-hmm. And the um, answer was no, long story short. What was, uh, what was the reason for you asking that?
1: Well, because when you, you take that deep hook that I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm but then you punch your way th- you punch your whole hand through the trigger right right to i'm
0: using ahead. i'm i'm slowly making that that fist and that's just something i picked up from a guy but it's a not, long time it's ago but it's
1: not slow it's when you really look at it it's open loop
0: yeah it is it's absolutely easy, it's too
1: fast for you to stop once you send that motor program it's sent right so i like your hand position on that release Mm-hmm. But it's not a true surprise break because if it was a true surprise break, the release would fall out of your hand, right? Okay. And
0: I've been do, I've been working on that lately because after seeing that one post with your kid, I'm like I'm like I wonder if mine does that because <laughs> I never paid attention to it. And then so I'm like, nope, I'm still holding on to it. <laughs>
1: yeah, it depends. I mean, certain hooks will keep the keep the trigger yeah. in there, but.
0: Well, when I execute a good shot with the short and sweet, it does it does fall down. Mm-hmm. And so um, just that little post right there is like, okay, there's something here I need to work on. It. And so right. I was just curious about that. So go on. Sorry sorry for interrupting you there. I was just really curious, and I wanted yeah, to get so your so that's – I mean, I,
1: like I said, I like your hand position. I like mm-hmm. that deep hook on the trigger, but mm-hmm. I want you to concentrate on the movement more, right?
0: Okay. And yeah, that makes total and, sense.
1: And you were shooting through chronographs and all that stuff, so you were essentially blank bailing. Right? Yeah. But even then it's still a shot. Either you use it to make you stronger or you mm-hmm. allow it to make you weaker. Those are your two choices with every shot you shoot, right? So, uh, we talked about index finger triggers, how to gauge those also thumb buttons, right? There's a lot of different thumb buttons out there. Depends on, you know, a lot of people's hand shape is different. They like a, a longer neck on it or shorter neck. Find what works for you, but no matter what, It requires no thumb movement, right? Once you hook your thumb on that thing, you are basically, you know, increasing your back tension or your rotation which stretches your hand. When it stretches your hand, that moves the trigger into your thumb. You're not moving your thumb into the trigger, the trigger moves into your thumb, okay? And that's what makes that break. You can tell if it's a surprise break if your wrist breaks downward. If your wrist breaks downward, it's a surprise break. If it breaks upward, then it's not a surprise break. It's It went open loop on you. Uh, it,
0: very rarely do I ever see anybody shoot a thumb, rele- thumb release correctly. And this is coming from a guy that doesn't shoot one but knows what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, I got a great release on that. It's like <laughs> – Man, you were like a quarter inch off that thumb exactly. barrel, <laughs> you, and they don't even know it.
1: Yeah, sober rate of strike, man. Exactly.
0: I, I joke around. People punch triggers harder than Mike Tyson, man. I mean, it is. George, George Riles
1: talks about it. He talks about that downward break, and and he's absolutely correct on that. So
0: that makes sense. Uh,
1: that's thumb buttons hinges. You know, again, it's shape, and some people like the double sear where you can set the travel to the click and the travel after the click um so you know to each his own on that uh, and tension activated releases i cringe every time i see a coach put a shooter on a tension activated release and leave them there because you don't have to make decisions with that release you're not doing anything for your mental practice right you're simply going through the motions safety in draw back aim safety off and pull right But those releases are somewhat difficult to get super. They're definitely not the most accurate, but they are the easiest as far as making decisions goes. So like I said, I cringe when I see an instructor put somebody on those and leave them on that because they'll never get any better.
0: Well, I don't know if you hear the same thing, but it seems like everybody's like, man, back tension, back tension, back tension. That's the most accurate thing. And it's like, is making like in, in in listening to talk is it, is it making the decision to have that shot process? Cause that's what basically that's allowing you to do is making it easier for the person. And it kind of, kind of almost covers the, the real root cause. I mean, it doesn't like, it doesn't actually treat the cause you're, you're kind of masking it up is kind of what it sounds like.
1: Well, people are, you know, it's, if you again if you look at the movements that are required for these releases through the mm-hmm. through the, the scale of them, index finger, very little movement. That's why they're so difficult to evaluate, right? That's mm-hmm. why that like mic is really good to really hook into and work because you can feel the movement, it becomes that bigger movement. Then they go to that thumb button, right? It's a different movement, but it's still it's a little bit more than the index finger and then the hinge, then the, the tension activated release. So um, hmm. I, yeah,
0: <laughs> it makes sense. I mean, it just seems like, cause, uh, and you alluded it alluded to it earlier. A lot of guys from what I've seen, um, and, and having done it six, I'd say more successfully than some others switching releases and stuff. It's just more of a placebo effect. And then eventually that root cause just starts showing through Like maybe it lasts a week, maybe it lasts 10 shots, but if you don't treat it, it eventually, you know, if you don't fix that. Hiccup, it's going to come through in that next release is what my experience has been.
1: It is the natural way of doing business. If you allow a shot to make you more efficient, you're just going to get more efficient at your recoil bracing movements, right? To the point where now it locks your pin off the target and it times the whole thing, right? It jumps your pin to the target and you punch the trigger all in one linked motor program, and that is perfect for your subconscious. It loves it because it knows that putting your pin on the spot equals an explosion. That's why it won't let you get there, right? That's why it holds you off the target until it's ready, and when it's ready, it jumps up and you punch the trigger, and it's a nightmare. I mean, you see it in all these prominent shooters, and you know, getting back to your back tension thing, if back tension was the most accurate way of shooting than all the pros would shoot with back tension, but none of them do. They all shoot hinges and they all roll it in their hand, right? And even those that, that try to go to a thumb button, they end up hucking those things halfway down the field. I mean, we've seen it numerous times of professional archers with a thumb button chucking that thing. And the next day they're shooting a hinge. Right. They're trying to mechanically fix a mental problem. Hmm. So, you know, in, in the fingers world, you can see that back tension is not the most accurate way of doing business. Right. In the you know, there's people that shoot fingers with their compounds that just absolutely destroy everybody else. And they're not shooting with back tension. They're shooting a mechanoreceptive trigger, but it doesn't require back tension. That's why I shoot my sear systems like a grip sear or a tab sear, because I don't have to pull extra. I don't have that big input into my shot, right? Yes, it's good to maintain back tension, but if you have to increase back tension, that's just another thing that you have to put into your shot, that you have to keep consistent, right? So, and, you know, Olympic archers, they have to use back tension, but the The movement that they're actually using is a controlled expa- a balanced expansion to where you know everybody thinks that they pull their arrow through the clicker. That's not true. They're actually rotating their elbow behind them, which extends their bow arm about two millimeters, and that's the movement that puts it through the clicker. They actually push their bow through the clicker, hmm. but the pushing motion comes from the rear so it's it's kind of this whole a uh, balanced expansion thing, but you know, back tension in itself is just a bigger movement. It's easier to evaluate. That's why people think, people think that it cures target panic. But that it, makes really, that makes a lot
0: of sense. And, and one of the guys that showed me how to shoot with the hand like that, he's like, you know, you're relying in, in pulling through the shot. He's like, you're relying on more. You're not just relying on that. He's like, you're relying on more. And it's easy. Basically he was scratching the surface with, mm-hmm. with, with what you're saying there. Right. So I got another question from, from a guy named Ben Carlton, and uh, it's, this is kind of off topic, so I apologize here. You're welcome to bring me back after it. But um, he, he's like, I've heard one before. Um, oh, gosh darn, my phone. Basically, he wants to know. Um, he says he's going to buy your book here soon. Um, wants to know what the deal is with your kilts. He wears them fairly frequently. Is there some tactical advantage he gains with them or just enjoying his heritage?
1: (laughs) uh, I find, I've found out that I do have some Scottish in me. uh, (laughs) I'll tell you what, after you have elk hunted in a kilt, you will not wear pants anymore. You're kidding me. It is fantastic, man. Talk about freedom of movement. Oh, it's- <laughs> oh buddy. I'm
0: not going to ask you if you're going commando, but
1: <laughs> I do total commando cause I'm in blackberries, you know, but so oh. yeah, the kilts are pretty cool, man. I wear them all the time. I got, I do firearms instructor schools in them and, and it's, it's all good stuff, man.
0: That's awesome. Is there any, anything else in, in your system that you need to go over? Um, that, you know, from somebody starting off and I'm just going to assume the person listening to this. Cause it, you know, if I was a betting man, I'd be winning 99.9% of the times that they're dealing with target panic. Sure. Um, what would be the first step? And if they wanted to start using and utilizing your system, where would they
1: go? So shot is my website. And on there, I've got an online course in control process shooting. I've also written a book, a book in control process shooting. Uh, But what people before they go spending money on things, if I only have two minutes to spend with somebody, I always tell them about the critical second. That is the most important one second in time that anybody can put into their shot. Uh, because that's the main fail point, right? They may do all these things right in their shot, but they don't separate the two jobs. Again, job number one, draw back and aim, get it done, watch to keep it. Job number two is to put your concentration into the movement that gets you through your release. Right? You put that concentration there through the use of words. So people really need to analyze their shot. Analyze your trigger movement. Can you stop it? If you can't stop it, if it's too fast, then you need to know how to concentrate. You need to know these decisions and how to make them. And, you know, I explain a lot of stuff. I really go into detail in the online course about open and closed loop control systems, how they work, how to get in them, how to stay in them, and how to practice them. So it's pretty cool stuff.
0: Yeah, I absolutely eat up everything that you've been talking about, man. You have gave me a lot of stuff I need to work on, and and it sounds like I need to up the poundage on my release a little bit. Um, so I can get a a little bit better hook on it.
1: Just use it, use everything you can for concentration practice. Even the critters that you shoot at, it's nothing more than your concentration test. Right.
0: Yeah. No, I, yeah, I just, everything that you say totally makes sense to me. And, and, uh, we're going to have to have you back on here again sometime, man. Cause I mean, I, I've been eating this up and I just, I, I am a sucker for, for improving my shot process and, and, uh, anytime I can learn from somebody that has dug into it, like you have, it's, (laughs) it's a treat. It it really is a treat.
1: Yeah. Well, it came from a lifetime of failure, my man. So,
0: well, well, I I failed hard for, I don't know, eight, seven or eight years before I finally started even digging into it. And that was enough for me. So I'm, I'm just glad I figured it out earlier than, rather than later, right, right, and you know, guys that I know that have been still like, you know, everybody, everybody deals with it, man. It's such a great market. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. well, is there any, anything else that you want to say before we wrap this thing up, Joel?
1: Not nah, just, uh, you know, use every shot. Like I said, either you use it to make you stronger or you allow it to make you weaker, man. Get some knowledge, Perfect. get control of your shot. You know, might be a new year's resolution for you or whatever, <clears> but there's quit wasting time, man. There is, You don't know how much you got, so just uh, you might as well shoot controlled arrows while you got them, man.
0: All right, brother. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time, and uh, we'll be seeing you here soon, I'm sure. All right, man. Take care. All right. See ya. So what do you guys think? That's this episode of the podcast. If this isn't a five-star episode, I don't know what is. Leave a review on iTunes. Let me know how what you thought. Maybe some areas that Joel exposed in your shot process or your mentality, your mindset when it comes to shooting. Whatever it, Whether it's a firearm, a bow, it doesn't matter. Uh, it starts with the shooter, and uh, I know I found some things that I personally need to work on, uh, things that I never thought of, and I'm really excited and happy to learn um, alongside you guys on this episode. So thanks for joining me. Really look forward to uh, to some—I have a ton of, ton of episodes coming up, guys. I am recording right now like a madman. So thanks for following along, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye.